enter if you dare this ghastly conversation of teens fraught with despair and recent lacerations final girl chase after her don't let her get away but first the slumber podcast massacre with tna Welcome to the Slumber Podcast Massacre with TNA. That's Andy. And that's Tim. And this is a podcast about horror. Each week, Andy and I talk about a different horror film, from the golden classics down to that rare gem at the back of your video store shelf. This week, we'll be discussing the 1986 slasher mystery, April Fool's Day. Andrew, I've got two questions oh. for you because I rarely get to do this. Have you ever been involved in a sort of drawn-out or complicated or complex prank on anyone? Have you ever played a prank on anyone? I mean, yeah. I can't think of any, like... I feel like I have been in a super complicated one that didn't go over. Uh, I have been known myself to play pranks but poor i'm not a very good prankster i feel like i'm funny but i am not a good prankster uh they're usually mean or uh like uh like one i had uh our friend john call my mom one fourth of july and say a uh, firework went off in my hand which i thought was hilarious uh, i ended up getting grounded the entire summer for that one uh also when i first started dating my current wife uh, we were hanging. She was just meeting my friends, and I'm like, uh, "Okay, I'm gonna like let my tell my friends I hooked up with my ex girlfriend. Just go along with it. <laughs> like, why why put her in that situation? I don't know. Uh, so yeah, I've been in some bad pranks. Sure, I uh, I love the fact that you emphasize that it's your current wife. Right, my current wife. Yeah. <laughs> There's more to come. Um, so, wait, no, I, I'm with you, though. I mean, uh, jokes are fun. Pranks take effort. Yes. And, and you know, that's just hard. I'm not, I'm not a April Fool's Day guy. Like, it, I get fooled so much, and it pisses <laughs> me off. Especially now with the internet, like, where I'll just read something, and I'm like, Wait, what? God damn it. That's insane. And then I'm, oh, right. It's April Fool's Day. But it's, right. you know, the internet is just nonstop. Anything you look at, someone's got to do their own April Fool's Day joke. I remember watching, um, I used to watch this sports program called Pardon the Interruption. And it was during, Mar you know, it's March Madness. And they were like, so last night's game, there was a discrepancy in the score. And they didn't start the time, the clock right. It was like a, it was like a buzzer beater game. And they were like, and they're playing the last they're going to replay the last 15 seconds of the game. And I was just like, that's insane. I can't believe it. And they're like, April Fool's. I was like, what the fuck is my problem? <laughs> no, Why did I immediately fall for that? You know, it's no good, though, if there aren't still people out there falling for it. So, True. yeah, you're an important I guess part I'm of the doing my job there, yeah. Okay, so here's a second question for you. This movie, April Fool's Day, uh, deals with uh, multiple murders – Maybe. And it has uh, murders being shown in uh, many and various ways, even probably more different ways than than most horror movies. Now, this is a this is a big question here, but just whatever comes to mind. 
What is your favorite kill of all time in any movie? Who? Man, I mean, <laughs> the one that uh, leaps to mind that probably had, and it's not even like a like from a horror movie. It's when Marvin gets shot in Pulp Fiction, oh. the guy in the back of the car. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Like that, it comes. It's so beautifully done, and comes out of nowhere, and just is the catalyst for that whole scene. Uh, that one immediately jumps to mind. Also, Depp in uh, Friday or in Nightmare. I do like that one where he gets sucked into the oh, bed, yeah. and then oh, the yeah. geyser. It's a classic. Yeah. Um, whew. If another, if another one like comes to my mind, yeah. Oh, but yeah. those just are the two where it. I'm just like, <laughs> good murders. You know what what movies and and maybe someday we'll cover one. Surprisingly, uh, for it being a more serious toned movie, the Omen movies had some really cool kills, oh, like yeah. the uh, the head slice with the uh, the uh, the glass. That is the Omen, right? Yeah, yeah, that's the Omen. And then and then that one with that like thing that comes off of like the church and like goes right through the dude's mouth. Yes. Yeah, like those are exciting. But yeah, it's I was I was just thinking about that because obviously we spend a lot of time watching people get killed in these movies, right? And uh, but that Marvin one in Pulp Fiction that is that is so perfect. <laughs> I think it's just the <laughs> it's the way that it's filmed where you just see that explosion right. in the back, like it's just. Well, oh, and the God. first time I saw it because the way Travolta's there are certain ways shots are set up. So the way he's looking back, like right at the camera, I'm like. Something's about to happen. <laughs> right. But the, it's it still happens so – it's so visceral uh, the way it happens. And hysterical. And hysterical. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. It's so funny. <laughs> right, right. Um, well, here we are. We're, we're, uh, we're talking about April Fool's Day. And maybe this is the ultimate prank on the world that we've pulled by doing our April Fool's Day segment in the middle of June. Gotcha. And uh, obviously a lot of things have happened since uh, we were back on, and we could go on and on about that, but I'm sure that any of your local news channels would be happy (laughs) to tell you about everything that's been going on. Um, If you haven't known what's been going on, you probably caught it and have died by now. (laughs) You're right, right, yeah. I mean, (laughs) No, the mortality rate is low, but it's still, we're trying to keep the spread down. Yeah, we just want everybody. Hey, if everybody dies, then there's nobody to listen to the podcast. So, <laughs> right. I mean, it's in our best interest that you stay healthy, and we hope you do. Yes, please. Uh, so, April Fool's Day. Now, this movie, above all else, is known for one major quality or turn of events. Yeah. And um, we might as well get it's it out. It's known of the way. for something? What's that? It's known for something? Oh, sure. <laughs> Oh, you know what, though? But before we get to that, I've got the opportunity to do Nan's Summary. Oh, shit. Which I, you couldn't pick a better movie because there is a character named Nan there in is. the film. And probably will be the last Nan. The most forgettable character. Yes. My God. Right. Yeah. Sorry, real Nan. Why was she in that movie? Anyway, keep, yeah. go ahead. Yeah. She, yeah, not interesting. We'll get to that. Not likable, but yeah. Um, I'm talking about the character in the film. Uh, but uh, <laughs> so Nan's Summary. Okay, Muffy St. John invites eight other of her college friends uh, to spend the weekend at her family's estate on a remote island uh, for reasons unknown to the group, uh, but are 
Because it's April Fool's Day weekend. Yeah. Everyone parties that weekend. Yeah. Biggest. Apparently, they do things different in <laughs> British Columbia, but um, where this was filmed gorgeously, by the way. Uh, but uh, yes, all these friends get together on this remote, beautiful, just palatial estate and uh, pretty quickly start dying thereafter. And that's that's pretty much all of the plot that you would want to give away for somebody that had never seen the movie. So. Be warned. We're going um, to. Spoiler for a 30, 40 year old movie coming (laughs) up here. (laughs) However old it is. Um, So, yes, the main thing that this film is known for is that it is a slasher film in which no one dies. Right. Uh, There are plenty of deaths. But it is revealed at the end that none of the deaths were actually real and that it was all a plot to promote what is an up-and-coming business venture. Right. Um, so now that we've got that out of the way, um, let's talk Which little- is foolproof, by the way. Let me just say, solid-ass business plan. Nothing could go wrong with this one. Right. The fact that you've got eight different people that you have to keep involved in a secret... As it's unfolding. Yeah, as it's happening. Right. And that they all have to not say, you know what? Fuck you. I thought I was going to die. I'm out of here. Which probably all of them would do if it was real. But, um, yeah, everybody goes along with the plan. And then ultimately the uh, the trick is on us, the audience members. And the, it's no coincidence that this movie came out in that fashion when it did. Because it was 1986. And you really kind of have to set the, the, the scene for where slasher films were at that time. Okay, so um, for people our age, uh, granted we were still relatively young at that time, yeah. but we had been flooded, flooded with horror movies from uh, Halloween, and let's just call it Halloween in 78, yeah. And now it's 86, so you've had all of your franchises introduced. Yeah. It's insane that we're that. It's only like, it's not even a decade, and it feels like 25 years worth of a genre. Tons of volume. Yeah. Absolutely. And not only volume, but a beginning of diminishing returns, unfortunately, because you've got the movies that, these franchises that have now been introduced, now we're churning out sequels. Maybe not quite as much artistry or craftsmanship or time is being taken with the sequels. Um, the reins of control are passing from the people that originally created these wonderful ideas to now people that are just being brought on. And so you start seeing some movies that the rest of the slasher audience is not really buying as much as they, they used to. They're not, they're not as thrilled with it. I, I'm talking about... Um, Friday the 13th part five, um, which is, you know, people felt kind of ripped off by because it wasn't Jason. Yeah. Um, We're talking about the nightmare movies that kind of quickly went down in their quality. Yeah. Um, So here comes this. Well, not yet. I mean, we're not even to Dream Warriors yet. Well, no, that's true. But I guess two counts for that, though. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It only took one to drop way down. (laughs) But. What I say is it's not coincidental that this this type of movie is made at that time because you've got Frank Mancuso Jr., who we've talked about before in in conjunction with uh, the Friday Friday movies. And he was not overly thrilled with being attached to 
horror films or slashers anymore. You've got a director, uh, Fred Walton, who was also known for a couple of horror movies, When yeah. a Stranger Calls, uh, When a Stranger Calls Again. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he did a ton of TV movies. Yeah. Like, this was like his last theatrical release. Right. And um, so, yeah, but both genre guys that I think had gotten to the point where they were willing to do something different with a movie, with a horror movie. Yeah. And as a result... Because uh, isn't, uh, isn't Frank... Mancuso in this movie? He's in this movie, right? Is he? I thought he was. Maybe he's not. I, I thought he had a bit part. I, I know he was super active in it. I mean, active in the casting, acting in, or uh, acting as, uh, you know, uh, certainly a, a real resource to the director. Yeah. I don't know if he's in it, though. Okay. Um, but let me ask you this just right off the bat. Do you feel that the sort of quote-unquote trick of this movie... Uh, was that something that you enjoyed, or did you feel ripped <laughs> off by? No, it is not. No, uh, I mean, there's a part of me that gets it. I, I think if they had revealed it a little better, maybe it would have worked. If you've got a scene, because let's just spoil. We're going right to the end here. I'm just going to talk about the end. <laughs> right. Uh, because yes, uh, when the final girl is being chased at the end she runs into the parlor and everyone else who has died is just sitting in there Mm -hmm. and she's like wait what it's a joke you guys and then they're all like ah gotcha uh it would have been far more effective had she stumbled into a scene like the end of happy birthday to me where all the dead bodies are set up Ooh. and then they surprise her with that. It's a joke Ooh, yeah, or something I like that. and everyone's been in on it or something. But this idea of a, everyone's just kind of going along as they're being harmed. Fucking girl falls down a well, <laughs> right. you know, <clears throat> guy almost gets uh, bitten by a snake. Um, and then to just be kind of sitting there, and they don't even react to her when she comes in. Like, that's part of the bit. Like, a guy's building a fucking card ha- house of cards, it's you know? It's surreal, isn't it? Yeah, like, how long has that guy been sitting there doing that for? It's almost like, it. doesn't it almost feel like a weird dream sequence? Like, are they all supposed to be, like, Right, because they don't like, even acknowledge her when right. she comes in. That's what's so weird about it. I mean, it's kind of a, in some way, it's sort of an interesting choice but i like what you're saying about kind of still amping up the uh the fear factor a little bit more um so those are cool scenes yeah happy birthday to me uh sleepaway camp 2 any scene where you've got the uh crazy person has now made a uh uh, tableau of the victims that's great and that would have been then someone then they're actually surprised instead of this like where I was going, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, you know that's uh, that you mentioned that sort of tableau that a lot of movies use where there's sort of this collection of victims. That always has the same very, um, very real and cool effect on me every time a movie uses that because it sort of forces you as the viewer to like take in the enormity of everything that has happened for the last hour and a half right and you sort of like see all of the carnage together and then it seems that much more you know just massive and and visceral but there are so many kills off camera right you don't see really any kills that's true yeah it's and that was another reason why it was sort of 
uh, maligned um, by a, a lot of fans is that while there are some neat gore effects, um, you don't see a lot of uh, the actual killing taking place, like an implement going into somebody's right. flesh or something. It's kind of like the anti-Tom Savini school of uh, <laughs> right, effects. Yeah. But um, so let's let's what if we just took Tom's end result. And showed that. <laughs> right, right. It's almost like it was edited for TV without being edited yeah. for TV. Because we, I should point out, it's not just, ah, ha, ha, it's a joke. It's Muffy's idea then, because uh, she'll be getting this house in her inheritance, and it's her idea to make this, like, thriller murder weekend, like rich people pay for, to come have a murder weekend. So this was all part of a script, but <coughs> don't worry, it's a wet cough. Um, it, it, a, cause she's like, ah, the script worked and it's like, a, that script worked for these very specific people right. who didn't know they were a part of it. If I'm paying to go, like, could you imagine me right in that knowing I paid for that? I would yeah. just walk around just being like, so like when I go in the barn, is that when someone jumps out or what? Like how, yeah. Well, what part do I uh, almost get uh, bitten by a spider and die or whatever? Yeah, you're having to suspend a lot of disbelief yeah. with this movie. And there are so many very specific things that had to happen. Like at the very beginning, uh, one of our the dock workers, I forget his name, he gets like hit by the boat, the ferry they're taking. Yeah. Oh, real quick, uh, side tangent. Kudos to this film because for a mid-'80s movie and for someone to say – here comes the fairy, and there is no follow-up joke to that. Bravo. <laughs> Bravo, mid-'80s um, yes. horror movie. Um, but this guy, he gets hit by the fairy, right? And Because he's already in the water. He gets hit by the fairy, and he comes up, and his face is just like gash. His eyes almost hanging out, and they whisk him away. And they're like, oh, my God. Turns out that was all part of it. But the way he gets in the water were two guys – also, ton of ton of guys. This movie's full of pranksters. Uh, two guys play a joke where one guy gets hit in the stomach with a knife and falls in the water, and that guy jumps in to rescue him. Now the guys playing with the knife, they don't know this is like some prank fueled weekend. Right? They're, they're not in on it. Prank. So, yeah. but that guy needed to be in the water right. for that to happen. How the fuck else is he going to get in the water for that right. to happen? Well, and I think that even if and, and what you've just articulated is is exactly right. When you really sit and think about it, in order to buy into this movie, you have to really just kind of like put on those like blinders oh. and just go with whatever it is they're feeding you, because the, the plausibility is is so minimal in, right. in, the, uh, in yeah. all of this. I would um, say a dream demon killing you while you're asleep. <laughs> Yeah, Far more plausible chance. than most of the stuff that happened in this movie. Right. So, but but it is fun along the way, and and we'll we'll get into a little bit more of that audience reaction and kind of the fallout. Um, let me just tease that a little bit by saying that some people have gone so far as to tell the director of this movie that he personally is responsible for killing the slasher genre oh, with damn. this movie. Yes, and I mean, actually was was given that harsh of criticism. So let's backtrack a little bit, though. Um, I don't think that this movie requires us to go scene by scene by any means, but let me just 
set up the, uh, the the setting here because it is really gorgeous for a horror movie. So, like we said, we have this character of Muffy who has invited her college friends uh, to her family's estate. Now, this was filmed in uh, on Vancouver Island in British Columbia. It's gorgeous, gorgeous, and um, it's it's beautiful. And um, a lot of the the scenes, as a result take place in a lot more sunlight than you normally see yes. in, in horror films. So a lot of it is brightly lit. A lot of it is very fun. And they do a really great job of establishing who these characters are by spending a good amount of time on them taking the ferry to the island, uh, being in the house, picking out their rooms that they're going to stay in, the banter and the interplay of the characters. Yeah. It's all very well done and it's very, very much owed to the fact that this is probably the most talented ensemble of young actors that we've talked about in a slasher movie. Uh, yeah, probably. I mean, they're, they're, it's not like we're talking about the next Yeah, Pacino still not putting it on a high pedestal. <laughs> right. But, I mean, you can tell. And actually, a, a, in my research, I found out all of, if, if not all of, Certainly, most of every single person, including the director, including the actors and actresses, uh, are all, um, uh, you know, they, they all have degrees in theater. So oh. it wasn't just like... It wasn't, let's go to the low, you know, let's hire some people from Vancouver Island. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the, the, the talent pool kind of like gets a little shallow, yeah. you know. But, um, but no, they actually... Uh, set out to to cast really great actors, and they they really did. And what's cool about this is that in real life, they did film on location, you know, in on Vancouver Island. So instead of you know actors going to their trailers or going back home because they live you know in L.A. and they just go to the warehouse to to film, instead of it being that typical scenario, you've got this group of young actors all just going up to this island in real life and hanging out with each other and partying and having fun and getting to know each other. And that resonates on the screen. Yeah. These, these characters know who they are. Um, they are kind of caricatures of a lot of the, the typical. You have to have that, y- though. You just do. Yeah. Um, but the interplay is great. Um, so it's not a character work. You know, right. For the lack of character work, decent characters. I will say though, not not a lot of memorable care. I mean, I remember them because I recognize a lot of them from other stuff. But as far as like, um, you know, and I know like who the couples are. But as far as their like distinguishing personalities, they're not too varied. Yeah, they're not. It's it's not over. All the like, guys are kind of dicks, except for Rob. Yeah, the one guy is kind of like he wants to be wealthy and wants to like get. Yeah, there's the Reaganite motherfucker. Like, and then you have the quote unquote, and you know, pardon my language for this, but getting the point across, the whore character. Yeah. Um, but she's actually really played Nikki. really smart. Yeah, uh, you know, and she's played as witty and funny and intelligent. Oh yeah, I, they all seem like. Well, I think they even talk about their. I mean, we're. How, how long ago was this? And they're like, let's be aware of our privilege. Right, yeah. Like, damn. <laughs> right. Yeah, make no mistake. This yeah. is a movie about So, you know, white uh, the horror genre has been uh, on the Black Lives Matter side for a long time, although there are no black people in this movie. No, none. Literally none. No. Um, 
Yeah. So, but but the but while the characters, and I'll agree with you on that. There, there's not. I mean, there are a couple that stand out that, especially the character of Chaz. Chaz, yes. Um, really likable guy, recognizable if you've ever turned on a television in your life. Um, <laughs> and uh, he's he's got kind of that. Wears a sport coat, spiky hair, Ray Bans. Yeah, he's your like, '80s, yes, laissez-faire, artsy guy. Yeah, and but I mean, he's gonna step charming. on the furniture because it's just a material possession, man. What do you care? <laughs> right, and uh, and he's kind of you know he's he's sort of uh, got one thing on his mind, but yet he's charming when he he is overtly sexual. So it's it's fun to watch, and yeah, he's just an all-around cool guy. Um, one of the other uh, actors uh, that we have in this movie that I was thrilled to see, as always, is Amy Steele, yeah. who you know is your final girl from Friday Part, Part two. 2. And I will say, I think that she was used to a lesser degree in this film because she is a, she does a great job. Yeah, she's but, very um, subdued, though. Even, yeah. like, her haircut is super subdued. Like, yeah. short, straight bangs, straight hair. Yeah, and... and not it. Sorry, I I actually get to smoke in this episode. Yeah, we should outside. point out uh, we've moved the the uh, <laughs> studio to the garage. So when you hear my yeah, neighbor some... mowing his lawn, <laughs> it's or, or uh, all part of, of the ambiance. Yeah, um, we're like, it's a beautiful day out. Let's do a horror movie podcast. It's the best thing to do, and it's my favorite temperature. It's seventy three degrees, it's which is beautiful my outside right now. Um, so you've got Amy Steele, who we all love from uh, Friday Part Two, and she was cast by Frank Mancuso Jr., who of course remembered her from his movie and uh, insisted that she be cast, and um, and and that was great because she's she's always wonderful. Um, what I really love going back to that that cast interplay is there was a lot of improvisation that was allowed and encouraged in this movie. And you can do that when you've got seasoned theatrical performers um, that know how to improv. And um, there's a great scene early on in the movie when they're in the kitchen. The, the three of the female characters are in the kitchen. Yeah. And they're doing a sex survey, uh, reading it out of a magazine and asking each other questions. This scene was actually born out of the actresses hanging out for and waiting for a scene to be lit one day. So when you're, if you've ever been on a, a set, whether it's a, a modeling set or a TV or film set, uh, lighting is not something that's done quickly. Um, it's sort of painstaking. Uh, and there's a lot of time, there's a lot of standing around, sitting around, not doing anything. And the, the director saw these three actresses asking each other questions out of a, a Cosmo magazine. Yeah. And he just thought that was really fun and cool. So he wrote his own questions, the director did, and handed them to the, to the actress that was you know, holding the magazine. And they all did not know what the questions were and had to improv their own answers. So yeah. it's not scripted. And the scene plays out super organically. Yeah. Super fun. Like the girls are just really likable and cool. And so, again, that that What was number three? What's that? What was number three again? <laughs> that was, like they cut it right there. <laughs> yeah. Like it was, it's perfect. And it's like, good because there is a long list. And I was like, I don't even remember the beginning right. of this list now. Yeah. But yeah, I will say I noticed that. And another testament to this movie, which is pretty woke for a mid 80s movie. Uh, you've got them recognizing their privilege. You have this quiz where they bring up a lot of. Uh, trans and gay positions and no one's like no uh there's even a scene where uh chaz and who's biff uh what's his character name uh arch 
Arch, Archie. Yeah, Biff Tannen. We haven't even got to him yet. Yeah. But they're kind of like playing grab ass in the bed and they're like still like but like hugging each other and but there's no like moment they're like whoa whoa whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, get away from me right no there's no like we, uh, that typical homophobic like oh man we almost looked gay for a second <laughs> right. you know they're just having fun as friends yeah uh and, so again kudos to this movie right and i i think that that you know as well you and i are, are both well versed in theater and it's something that i've always thought would be really unfortunate if uh, if we were ever were to be in major motion pictures. <laughs> that a lot of um, a lot of films don't take that time to uh, work with each other, explore characters, try things, change them. That's the beauty of theatrical performances and the rehearsal process is that you can really dig into the characters and dig into the interplay. Whereas in film, it's kind of like you memorize your lines and you go onto the set and you hit your mark and you shoot the scene. Um, But I think the fact that these characters that we know that these actors had the chance to, to interact with each other and have fun and hang out and they're all young and sort of up and coming in Hollywood. um, it, It really does resonate. Yeah. Um, and again, beautiful setting. Um, the interiors were shot. It, none of it, I, I don't think, or very, very little was shot uh, in a warehouse setting um, with with actual studio sets. So when you're inside this house, you really do get the feeling of being inside like a really fancy bed and breakfast type place. Um, and the outside uh, grounds are gorgeous and it's, oh. it's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, there is. That's, I loved this. Because as they're coming up on the ferry, um, Nikki, the whore, kind of like sits up and is like, oh, my God, that's where we're staying. And you don't see any. You just see like (laughs) gorgeous woods. And yet like the dock looks like a fucking dock that you have to take a ferry to, you know, a remote dock. Right. And then the house they go into is a gorgeous mansion. Like, right. what are you complaining about right now? It's almost like when she it says it, such it's such a setup to like, it's such a tropey. Oh God. And then it's like, what? <laughs> yeah. I'll, like I'll she's stay there. Yeah, she describes it. Like, it's like, I can't believe we're going to be stuck in that shack for the whole weekend. <laughs> right. That's the delivery. Yeah, but you yeah. don't even see the house. Right. You see nothing. Right. Yeah, it's like what is what is she seeing that that we don't see? But yeah, it's it's revealed that there's this uh, this gorgeous house and and apparently I don't know where the money came from. I, I think that by this time um, studios were willing to invest quite a bit in horror films or yeah. more than they had Especially when they started. Um, Columbia, uh, they got that horror money. What's that? Columbia's oh, yeah. got that hot horror money. <laughs> right, right, and. Um, and it was uh, it was a five million dollar budget. Um, a lot of the movies that we cover are lucky to have a million or two. Yeah. Um, and it made thirteen million, so it was a, a great financial success. Yeah. The actors talk about all the actors actually talk about how well they were paid, uh, how well they were taken care of. Wow! So it was like a really nice, probably like super enjoyable shoot for everybody. Yeah. Um. So there's a lot of fun happening, and the kills come. Pretty quickly, and I kind of I feel bad as we're talking about this that we're not laying out more plot, but really there isn't more no. plot, and maybe that's that's you don't to have to pay benefit. a lot of attention to this movie. No, yeah, you can just have a fun, sit back, and and kind of just watch the kills because it's really sort of character driven. Like they they make a, a strong point of establishing, like you said, who the couples are. Um, 
But I'll tell you where this movie really succeeds, if you think about this, as far as um, as an actor. These are not people that have known each other. These characters are not people that have known each other for forever. No. They're people that have known each other for like maybe a year, maybe two years. So that's a really difficult little narrow zone of how do we play these friendships and how do we play these characters? But you believe everything. Like you believe the interplay, um, you believe the connections, you believe the fact that they know each other but maybe don't know each other that well. And it's kind of like friends of friends, how you interact at a party when you're introduced to your buddy's friend. Um, and so you know, yeah. like, hey, we're supposed to be friends, but we don't really know each other. Yeah, there's the, the Reaganite guy where everyone's kind of like, you know Muffy. Right, exactly. So they do they do a really good job of... I still of, don't understand why that guy was there. Well, he's, he's... He says something about, like, doing business with her dad. Then he's like, I don't think that's why she invited me, though, do you? And it's like, I don't know. Why did she invite yeah. you? Yeah, why in Because no one seems to know you except for the guy you gave a ride to. Yeah, exactly. And he's also like, here I am talking about how (laughs) all naturalistic a lot of these performances are. His is the one that kind of comes off as a little stereotypical and a little stilted in its delivery. But it kind of makes sense because that actor who is, um, let's see, we're talking about uh, Harvey. No, Harvey. Yeah, Hal. Call me Hal Baker. Yeah, exactly. I don't like um, going by Harvey. Call me Hal. <laughs> right. And, Which is um, that short for Harvey? It is not. It's short. <laughs> Hal is short for Harold. Harold. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But it kind of all makes sense if you if you know the history of it because he was the last guy cast, and he was not on the island with everybody prior to shooting, uh. like everybody else was getting time to interact. Frank Mancuso had to go back to L.A. to try and find somebody. And he just kind of picked this guy up, you know, pretty quickly and, and got him up there after everybody. Had, he's not uh, terrible. Yeah, he's not bad. He really isn't. Um, but uh, but it kind of makes sense where he seems a little distanced. But maybe it kind of works for the part. Yeah. Really. So it all kind of makes sense that way. Um, and let's so, point out, he brought a gun with him. This could have turned sour <laughs> real quick. Yeah. No, that's true. Um, and and who, even gun owners that I know, probably wouldn't bring a gun to like a weekend getaway. Like, yeah, they would. Well, maybe, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> maybe they would. But um, yeah. So so if you've never seen the movie and you're sitting here and you're still maybe still to this moment puzzled over the fact that you mean there's really no murders in this movie? Yes, that's that's true, and that's. That's what's so interesting about it, um, except for the fact that there was a murder written into the original ending um, where Muffy, our character, our, our lead character who has invited everybody to the island, uh, does ultimately get killed by uh, Skip, who is revealed to be her brother so that he can get his share of the inheritance yeah. after everybody else leaves. It's set up that he is the, a cousin, Yes, originally like they think he's a cousin, yeah. turns out that he's actually And her the brother. twist at the end is, oh, she's got a twin sister. That's the crazy person. Right. Who's been killing people. My throat's so dry. I haven't talked this much in 2 months. <laughs> um, <laughs> excuse me. And, which I found hilarious all, again with the script reveal of where they're like, 
ah, you figured it out with all the clues. I'm like, what clues? There was one, she found one photo with two children in it, and then in a basement, just happened to, with their flashlight, shine and see like the height charts that they made of Muffy right. and Buffy. Right. Who was the crazy twin sister. Right. Now, I did think the twin was still alive. Um, when they found that, because because there is one scene where they see Muffy in the morning and she's kind of acting weird and is like, oh, I'm sorry, I got to go get ready. And I was like, oh, that's like the twin who was out of hiding and then like goes to back to hide or whatever, or yeah. the swap or whatever thing they've got going on. But yeah, it's revealed. Oh, no. So, so is that part of the script? So when you rent this weekend, do you have to discover the mystery that your host had a twin sister? Like, no one's going to give a fuck. No one's going to pry into their personal life. Yeah, the they're host- only because they're friends and they're like curious about what's going on with their friend. If I'm there and the host is weird, I'm not going to be like, I'm going to go search her dad's study then for some info. Right. Well, exactly. It's like if you were in on this whole thing and once it all gets revealed, you'd almost want to say to her, like, great job, Muffy. Now, what are you going to do for the other people that actually come to right. this? I've island? got because some this notes. This isn't going to work. I've got yeah. some notes for you. Right. So. Um, but yeah, so Skip you, now you, was supposed to kill her. Right. Coming back to that. And they uh, the producers um, or the executive producers at um, I think it was, it was Paramount. Um, that I thought it. it was Columbia. It was filmed on, no, it was filmed in British Columbia. British Columbia, oh, God. <laughs> yeah, All right. it was Paramount Studios. And when they saw it, they, um, they just really loved the, uh, the ending of the film, the one that we talked about where uh, the character of Kit, played by Amy Steele, goes into the room. She's sort of, again, the final girl of this movie, I guess you could say. And um, she wanders into that room where everyone's still alive, like we've already talked about. Um, everybody loved the like just genuine sort of fun of that scene because once it's all revealed and everybody knows what's going on, they're popping champagne, oh, they're yeah. laughing, and and it's really kind of a cool moment. There, um, the cinematography in this movie is great, and the actual cinematographer himself said, you know, in this scene you know, where we're popping bottles of champagne and everybody's in on it now. He's like, I really want to go handheld with this. And so he does this nice handheld thing and you sort of feel like you're at a party. Yeah. And it's it, it's so simple, but it's really a great decision and it really does feel fun and festive. Um, so I, I think the executive producers saw that and they're like, we love this. Like, we just want to end it here. And they now they did throw in one more final gotcha moment at the end. <laughs> Um, which is it, it does feel a little served yeah. up, well, you know, because there's there are I have two issues with it. OK, one, because at the beginning of the movie, they introduce this jack in the box that she has as a child. Yeah. That then, what up with that? With that? What monster? up with that? Who the fuck knows? <laughs> and that it's we're never mon- talked about again. Who and who makes a jack in the box? It actually has a terrifying monster. <laughs> right. Inside. Yeah. Um, and. And. Also, who doesn't know when the thing pops on a jack-in-the-box? It's on pop. It's on pop goes the weasel. That's when the thing opens. Uh, So get ready for something. Uh, But, yeah, so then it's never talked about again. And then at the – so then in this denouement moment, uh, the party's over. She's – Muffy's drunk. She comes into her bedroom, and there's a gift sitting on her bed, and she opens it up. 
and it's the Jack in the Box. But it's like a new Jack in the like it looks brand new. Yeah. And then she like goes all the way and doesn't open it. And then she does it. I don't even remember. Does it pop open? It doesn't matter because then what happens? Someone grabs her from behind and slits her throat. And you're like, whoa, what? It's kind of a it's kind of a hardcore moment. Like, yeah, it's, it's very shocking. Cool. But then that turns out, remember the character Nan? We bet you forgot because you're going to go, who the fuck is this lady? <laughs> um, and it's Nan who was like, just kidding. And are <laughs> Nan and Muffy supposed to be together? Right. I don't know. And Maybe did, because they like, because she just knew her from like theater. And why did Nan like slick her hair back and put on lipstick right before she went to kill her? Like, Well, yeah, that I was reading because I could, I read about this. Because I could tell, as you were saying before, it is a beautifully shot movie. Like, I immediately, even at the beginning, I'm like, wow, this is, like, well lit. Yeah. Uh, The shots are well composed. And then this end scene is, like, one light in a, looks like a set built bedroom. Like, it looks like a porn set with (laughs) worse lighting. Yeah. Uh, It's, like, not not enough lighting over the, like, over lighting uh, porn does, I've heard. And... So, yeah, it's A, and because they tacked it on so the actresses don't have the same hairstyles at all. Right. Uh, and, yeah, and it's just this weird, they're like, oh, shit, the jack-in-the-box. What do we do? Like, who's that from? I don't even remember. Right. Well, and, and yeah, there are a couple things that, and I, maybe this is just the running theme throughout our analysis of this, is that while we like this movie, there are just a few things that, like, we can understand having to buy into some implausibility. But when things just don't seem to make any sense, like, how would anybody not see this or realize this? Let me give you another example. So, Muffy's transformation, okay? So, when you start the movie, first of all, She's a little weird to start with. I mean, she's just a little, like, I don't know, nothing overtly strange yeah. about her, but she's kind of, like... Um, this weird, isolated Yeah, demeanor. sort of aloof, yeah. Yeah. And, um, but then as the movie goes on, in what we're led to believe is the twin sister, she becomes, like, very sort of, like, um, how would you not say homely, but she becomes, like, sort of... Uh, she gets like frumpy. Yeah, frumpy. She becomes frumpy and like sort of disconnected. And it's like, why didn't any of the other people in this house say, hey, Muffy, what is wrong with yeah, you? Are you okay? Yeah. Like, why are like you? Like, if I was talking to you in our kitchen and you were like darting your eyes around and playing with your hands, I'd be like, you all right? <laughs> yeah. Can I have some of that, whatever you're on like, right now? <laughs> especially if I suddenly started wearing like orthopedic shoes. <laughs> Right, and cardigans, yeah. you know, like you might question that. Um, but yeah, so there's, but you're right. The, the Jack in the Box thing, we, we see it in the beginning. It comes back at the end. Like who would even know? How did Nan even know that she had been looking at that Jack in the Box earlier in the movie? I mean, right. you're right. It, it's a lot of it doesn't make a, a ton of oh, sense. Oh, yeah, because she finds, you're right. You're right. Because she Cause finds Nan it when she's the cleaning one. up like the basement. Yeah. Getting things ready for... Like, there are so many things in this that had to play out so specifically for someone. Like, for example, I mentioned earlier, someone fell down a well. And when they fall in that well, this severed head floats up and there are bodies in the well. Now, had she never dropped her flashlight in that well? How the fuck would she ever find anything in that well? Well, 
Yes. No, you're right. You're right because you're right. But let me think. If people about this aren't for a fucking second. in the boathouse, how do they see the body float under the boathouse? You have to be very specifically down by the floorboards yeah. to see this dead body. Which also this movie introduces what I'm assuming now is my new favorite horror movie trope. The special effects expert. Every horror movie has a <laughs> yeah, makeup right. and special effects expert. Yeah, in the cast. In the, yeah. yeah, they're just, I do it on my spare time. Yeah, no, you know, you're right because when, when they, in the boathouse scene that you're talking about, um, the character of Kit is on the underside of what is about to be missionary sex. And... <laughs> She is the one that sees the right. dead body. Yeah. So how many times have you been on bottom and then like turned Turn over to look neck. at the bed sheets? Just I mean, like, behind well, you. <laughs> it's just not how it usually goes. No, you're right. There's, they're really, really expecting a lot of their audience, and that wasn't even really the part that I think that people had such a, a apparently pissed off time with. It's that kind of now we can touch on going back to what we mentioned earlier audiences when they saw this film felt very cheated by it and some of the uh blame could be placed on paramount but i don't blame it um paramount said that they didn't know how to market this movie so they marketed it marketed it as a straight ahead slasher movie so that when audiences went they thought that's what they were getting now i think you have to do that if sure. You're Paramount, if you're going to sell. You can't be like, this is a trick. Right. <laughs> exactly. So the the thing that like some people tried to blame Paramount for it, and I'm like, no, you why not keep the trick going? I mean, it's called April Fool's Day. If you're right. going in not expecting some sort of April Fool's trick. Yeah, like a super serious April <laughs> right. Fool's movie. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, some people had a problem with that, and audiences really felt, you know, sort of tricked or deceived by it. First of all, I don't understand that because it'd be like it'd be like if you went to a restaurant with your buddy and they brought out a dessert tray and they ordered the creme brulee instead of the chocolate mousse and you got pissed at him because he always <laughs> orders the chocolate mousse. It's right. like, why not try something different? Like yes. we had just had like we were talking about earlier. We've just had a flood of slasher films and slasher films that are identical to the slasher films that came before them and all of this sort of recycling and here was something trying to do something different now granted yes like we've been saying you have to throw away a lot of plausibility here but at least they tried something yes fresh. i will give them and credit I don't for hold that. that against them at Just all the, they executed it the ending very poorly could have been done yeah. way better no you're right but the concept was i'm okay with i yeah. don't feel I don't feel ripped off as as a viewer to at the concept of a slasher movie where nobody is truly dead. Like yeah. that's interesting to me. Um, so, and it's I don't know. And was the police chief in on it too? Because they call him and he's like, oh, I don't know about Muffy being alone. Like, is he in on like? Well, she's like chief. Make it seem like I'm crazy. Right. Is he and, in at he, the end? Yeah, yeah. And That's her uncle. The chief is the uncle is her uncle. Oh my god. Yeah. Okay. It's almost like I take the, that yeah, back then. I take the layers they keep stripping back though of people. It's like the doctor who delivered you, you know, eighteen <laughs> years ago has been in on this from the beginning, right. you know. Um no, they, they do start to like add on just how many how far reaching this whole ploy is by Muffy and it, at that point I guess you're just having fun with it because the reveal has happened and and you're kind of enjoying it but um 
But yeah, it's uh, it, it divided a lot of audiences and going back to, I'm actually going to cover something that I said that we would get to later, and here it comes. <laughs> I've seen an interview with this director before where he actually did say that he had people coming to him and saying that he ruined the slasher genre by making this movie because it's sort of such a send up of the genre and that it was such a quote unquote cheat at the end that people are like, well, you've just kind of like broken the spell of slashers. You've just you've just ruined it. But if that's true, then you could say the same thing for Scream. Because Scream, like, thoroughly it dissects. Ear, yeah. It's like when they say, like, the worst thing about comedy is, like, dissecting it. Like, that just <laughs> right. sucks all of the humor out of it. Scream absolutely, like, clinically dissects slasher movies. Yeah. And, and nobody had a problem with that. Um, so I don't, I don't have a problem with, with how this movie is presented, the concept of it. Some of, I will say some of the, um, of the scenes have a little bit of a pacing issue. Um, where I, I would have loved to have trimmed 10 or 15 minutes off of this. Oh, God, um, that's a short movie already. Right, and it, it is short already, which made me want to ask you a real quick question. Um, and where are we at on time? Uh, we got like 12 minutes yeah, left. let's go a little bit. In our window. Let's have some fun with it. Um, so let me ask you that question. How do you feel about a movie that is, let's say, an hour and 15 minutes long? Uh, if it's, you know, if it's an engaging story and that's all your story needs to take, I'm totally down with it. Totally okay. down with it. Yeah. And why not? Yeah. If it makes it a, a tighter product, why wouldn't you? Right. And it, it almost felt to me because this movie is. It, it feels like there's in something it. in the film industry where like a theatrical release must be 90 minutes. It, especially at that time. Yeah. Um, now you had you, you always had a couple directors that would go along like uh, Kubrick. And uh, Scorsese. But, yeah, at that time, you could almost, like, if you picked nine video boxes off the shelf, it was going to be approximately 90 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) I don't know if that was, like, a standard for something to be considered a theatrical feature film, you know, or as opposed to a short film. Yeah. I don't don't know what the technicality is on that. I'm not sure. Um, One fun thing uh, about this movie, because, um, you know, we keep talking about how how loose and fun and friendly the the production was is there is a a scene where an actor played by oh what's his name uh you would know him as Biff from yeah. Back to the Future uh, I can't think of his name something something Wilson Yep Hold on I got it Thomas F Wilson Thomas F Wilson who had, was literally and at, at the filming of this movie just fresh off of Back to the Future uh, on which he made uh, a pretty paltry salary, actually, as a result of not making any movie on or any money on that little movie, Back to the Future, <laughs> passed on Blue Velvet uh, to do this film uh, because the pay was better. Um, so we get to see Biff, and that guy's always fun. I mean, he's, he's got very an, engaging. He's great. entertaining screen presence. Um, sort of plays. You know, we haven't touched on this character much. He's kind of known as the goof, I guess, like kind of yeah. the knucklehead of the bunch. And um, he's got a great moment at the very beginning where when Nan shows up and he goes to, like, help her with her bag and stuff and then kind of realizes she's a pill and is just like, ah, and he just drops her bag and runs off. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. He's <laughs> like, ah, not worth it. Not worth it. And the funny thing is, it's almost because, like, it's almost when he realizes that she's in theater. <laughs> he's like, <laughs> right. Well, you know what? No, thanks. Yeah. Like, yeah. 
Michael's theater girls, I'll tell you. Um, but uh, there's a scene with him, his, his quote-unquote death scene, where he is kind of ensnared and uh, hung up by a tree, and there's yeah, a Yeah, and like there. a Looney Tunes leg trap. Right. Where it snares his foot and hangs him upside down. So the actor shows up that Again, day. Again, he needed to be very specifically... And he walks back and forth that area like five times. Right. And I, the one thing that I do think is funny, though, is that uh, Muffy explains at the end that they weren't even planning on the snake. Right. Like, Which is just like, that was just there for the audience. Right, right. Like, that was for you people. <laughs> right. And uh, so they come up to the actor uh, at the beginning of the scene of filming that day. And they say, um, they say okay, here's what's going to happen in the scene. You're going to be hung upside down in a tree. And a snake is going to try to to bite you. And the way that we thought we'd shoot this is to hang you upside down in a tree and have this snake try to bite you. (laughs) And uh, so naturally, he was a little nervous. um, But uh, they actually picked a non-poisonous snake. I don't know the actual... uh, You mean venomous? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's right, venomous. Non-venomous snake, uh, but known for its aggression. So, you know, as an actor, you, you got to love that. Um, but, yeah, ultimately, I think they ended up doing it with a, uh, a pane of glass that separates the snake and, uh, and the, um, the actor. So but, couldn't, but, even, but, couldn't even tell. Take notes, Spielberg. Yes. And what's funny is I don't think they – if they probably had told him, the actor, about the, uh, the pane of glass, he might have been okay with it. But all he was told – uh, after that first beautiful setup was when he went to go talk to the snake wrangler, the snake wrangler literally said, start waving your arms around and then dodge him. <laughs> like dodge, like antagonize the snake and then dodge its Yo. attack. So uh, while you're of, swinging upside down, <laughs> right. dodge yeah, its recoil, yeah, dodge it. Um, and then the snake wrangler, just to take it one step further, was telling the actor about how harmless the snake is, reaches into the bag, and then immediately is bit on the hand by the <laughs> snake who won't let go. So kind of a fun little bit of information there. Uh, so a, a treacherous shoot, apparently, at, at yeah. some points. Um, also, the, the character of Skip uh, is played by Ryan O'Neill's son, and apparently he was a little bit to handle on set because uh, I just found out He doesn't out that, seem used much yeah, in this movie. Yeah. He, He's, he kind of, you sort of forget about him yeah. a little bit. Um, but uh, apparently this this young actor had lived a pretty tumultuous life. Like his Ryan O'Neill like reportedly forced cocaine on him when he was 11 years old. God. He, I think, had a big drug and alcohol problem. And the... Um, who the, the actor that plays Chaz was saying that um, while the character or the, the actor that played Skip was created some kind of tumult uh, during the shoot, he was also a lot of fun to hang around. So uh, right, whatever that yeah. means. <laughs> Depending on what moody I was in. Right. <laughs> right. So, um, so yeah. It, but all in all, I mean, from, from all accounts, uh, a fun movie to shoot. Certainly a fun movie to watch. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Let me before we wrap up, I want to point out two scenes that I really liked. One, it was just funny. And two, the second one, I was like, wow, that's like a good scene with characters. Uh, One, the funny part was at the end where there's the reveal because you've got Rob and 
What's the girl's name? Not the, Nikki. Who's the final girl? Oh, Kit. Cat. Kit. Kit. So Rob and Kit are being chased now. They've realized that Buffy is the one killing people. Yes. And now they're being chased by Buffy. They get separated. Like Rob gets trapped in a closet and Kit runs into the parlor and sees everyone. And it's just like, what? So like all the tension is deflated. She's like, I can't believe it. Everyone's laughing. And then it cuts back to Rob in the thing. He's still like, I love you. No. <laughs> He's still like screaming and pleading. That was great. That oh, was beautiful. Yeah. It's hysterical, yeah. And the other scene I really liked involved them as well, and it's the first night they're there. And so that night, while everyone's uh, pairing off and having sex or trying to have sex, (laughs) it's obvious these two, who have probably been in the longest relationship, are having an issue. And they're just kind of getting into bed. There is no chemistry or anything going on. It looks like they're about to go to sleep. And he goes to turn off the light, and then another light across the room turns on because this house (laughs) is full of pranks. And he gets up and turns off that lamp, and a different lamp turns on, which then totally cuts the tension between them. And they have a good laugh and go to bed then. Like, I was like, damn, that's like a great scene with like growth with these characters and stuff. So those two bits really stood out for me. Let me ask you this question, though. I'm so glad you brought that up. What is the, the problem between them? I don't, I don't know. Is that ever, like, they talk about, like, is this, a, like, what happened to Well, dinner? I think it's because he, he said something in the oh, early about, I'm yeah. like a state, state college guy or, or something. Or he's saying, like, he's upset that he didn't get into school. Uh, something like that. Yeah, something like that. But, um... Or that he blew an interview or something. I can't remember. But but yeah, I couldn't I couldn't figure oh, out. Oh right, yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. That uh I couldn't figure it's out really yeah, what the problem was. But yeah, but you're right, that scene is great, it's natural. Part of that is um I think they both do a good job in that scene, but that sweet Amy Steele just you just she's so genuine on screen that that you just like she just the emotion that she conveys always is super believable. Yeah. And super like fun and and just she's great she's absolutely fantastic um and it's nice to know that in real life now she's uh like a counselor oh like, wouldn't you like to go to her for advice yeah yeah i didn't know that yeah so um but no it's it's uh i certainly recommend this movie in fact it's kind of funny bridge episode here when we first started talking about doing uh happy birthday to me for whatever reason, for my entire life since I've known about both of these movies, because I think, if, if memory serves, I think my friends and I rented both of these movies on the same night. Uh-huh. And as a result, I have constantly confused these two movies. Sure. So when I was remembering the fun of April Fool's Day, I was associating it with Happy Birthday to Me, so that when you and I finally watched it, we're like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. Um, it's weird you say that, because watching this... I liked it. I don't know if I'd recommend it, but all I thought was, I'd like to watch Happy Birthday to Me again. <laughs> like, it kind of reminded me of that movie. That's fun. But it is similar, though. Yeah. I mean, like the idea of, you know, just a group of friends who are pretty familiar with each other or relatively familiar with each other. Yeah. Um, no, you're right. They, they are kind of like brothers in arms, so to, so to speak. I mean, they're they're... There's definite similarities. They're good companion pieces. Yes, they are. Yeah. Well shot. And in Canada, both. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One side of, of Canada versus the other. Yeah. But um, but yeah, no, that's uh, – we'll do that, folks. Why don't you rent both of these movies yeah. and tell us which one you like better. Um, speaking of which, uh, this is one thing that I wanted to bring up just a little bit outside of this movie. But 
now that we're back to doing the podcast again, something that I really, really want to encourage people to do um, is to make use of contacting us uh, through email. Um, that uh, and Andrew will run through those addresses for you. Oh, but God. Uh, <laughs> it's been a while. I'm not sure what they are. <laughs> <laughs> well, you think I it's- think it's just slumber podcast massacre at gmail.com. Yeah, uh, you know, right. listen to one of the other episodes, or look at the probably look at the description of this episode. I'll put the right addresses in there. Yeah, yeah, but it's uh, it, it's something that I I really encourage you to do. Whether it's um, you know coming up with ideas for for f- uh, future movies or to comment on any of the things that we've said, I don't want you to think that anything that we have to say is is gospel. Um, I'd love to hear if you have a different opinion on something or a different insight that maybe we didn't cover. Trust me, we'll, if you write in, we're are 99% of the time going to mention it again on the next episode because we're so excited to right. hear from you. Now I should check the email yeah. from the last two months. <laughs> yeah, tune into future episodes for the correct email address. <laughs> right. This one's from March 18th. <laughs> Just start typing in Gmail and Slumber <laughs> Massacre or whatever, you know, keywords. Yeah, I think it's slumberpodcast at gmail.com. And the Instagram is slumberpodcastmassacre. Yeah, you can always message us there. Yeah, you know, like, help this blow up so that we can hire a media manager and I don't have to worry about this anymore. Yeah, wouldn't that be nice? A little <laughs> support great. group there? Be Tell great. your friends about it. All right. You want to wrap this one up since you started it? Well, um, sure. Uh I'll just say you don't have to do all that. We got all the tags out of the way. (laughs) Now that you know exactly what it is. Um, And uh, tune in next week uh, when uh, we dive into a little bit of a variant on the genre here. I know this might rattle a a few people's feathers, but we're going to dive into a clockwork orange. Yeah. So lots to talk about there. Um in the meantime, uh, Andrew, you've got anything else? Uh, no, I don't have anything. Well, on that note, it's great to be back. <laughs> I can I can feel your enthusiasm, and um, no, we're we're thrilled to be back. We're glad that you're listening, and don't miss that next episode because it is going to be a doozy. Uh, Let's see. Um, I didn't think of anything uh, witty or funny that's uh, tied to April Fool's Day, but I'll just say um, jokes on you, Andrew. You're stuck with me forever. I can't believe I fell for it. Bye, Timmy. Bye-bye.